We are going to start today's session with a very exciting program with uh, Jeff Ralston, a very long time friend of mine. Uh, we have been in Silicon Valley both of us for a very, very long time <laughs> and uh, seen the evolution of Silicon Valley in many, many, many different incarnations. So welcome, Jeff. It's great to have you here. Uh, Jeff is the president of Y Combinator and has been, <laughs> Jeff has been involved with Y Combinator right from the beginning, if I recall. So why don't we start there, Jeff? Let's uh, let's kind of take a look back a little bit on the evolution of Silicon Valley and, and on the evolution of Y Combinator. Sure. Um, I'm getting. I apologize for the cat attack here. This is one of the um, <laughs> risks of doing talks from home. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I've been uh, actually at YC, um, uh, working at YC for over 10 years now. And um, YC has been around for 16 years, but I, uh, I've known Paul Graham, um, one of the four founders, sort of the, the main force behind YC for even longer than that, we worked at Yahoo together in the late 90s. And as Paul began thinking about startups and started YC in the um, in 2005, 2006, 2007, I did um, get involved and go to um, just from um, for my own learning, go to demo day and sort of watch what was going on and and um, and sort of got to observe firsthand how uh, organizations like YC and, and YC is the as the real pioneer were changing how venture capital worked, how um, entrepreneurs could think about starting companies. Um, but uh, I'll tell you that does feel like a really long time ago, <laughs> back in the day. So what's changed in how you're operating now? You are now president. You've seen the beginning. You've seen the Paul Graham era. You've seen. Uh, all the years in between, what what has changed? Um, it's a good question. A lot has changed, but I, I actually usually like to talk about what stayed the same. So maybe I'll start with that and then talk about how we've evolved okay. over time. First, we're still a pretty small company. We're, we're bigger than we used to be, but we still feel like a, a startup ourselves. Most of the people at YC are startup people. And we, we really try to hold on to that ethos as much as we can. We still fund mostly hackers. And I, I, I think of that fairly broadly, people who hack software more was the original idea there. But we, we fund people who hack hardware, who hack business, um, who hack biology, who, who um, work in the field of synthetic biology or, or biotechnology. Um, we fund a whole bunch of companies all at the same time with common, simple documents. They don't tend to be more than four or five pages long. And we still run a three-month program twice a year whose intention is to transform the trajectory of the companies that we work with. Um, when we started, we offered just a little bit of funding and advice, but we've really expanded the set of programs and the resources that we have for startups um, as they grow throughout their 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 lifetimes throughout their journey, um, we um, 
we really, you know, I, I resonate a lot to the to the story of one million by one million. Um, we have something, as you know, called Startup School, which is a free program that works with hundreds of thousands of founders. We launched in 2017. We have programs to help people find jobs at startups, work at a startup. We have a program called our Series A program that works with companies right after the our batch program, our early stage program. And then we have a growth program and indeed a growth fund that funds people um, later and later on. Um, we have, a, a, I think of ourselves more now than, than the very beginning as a, a company built upon a software platform. So we have this very elaborate software stack and a, and a software team to go with it that builds the software that Startup School runs on, the, uh, our entire missions process runs on, that the batch itself and demo day runs on now more than ever since we're entirely virtual since the pandemic as well. And of course mm -hmm. we have community software and financial software. So, um, so you know, the, the, the founders and the companies that we fund have kind of stayed the same and kind of expanded too. We um, we have funded way more international companies. Uh, the last batch we funded half half the companies that we funded were um, were international. And the batches are much bigger. Our first batch in two thousand five was eight companies, and our most recent batch is four hundred companies. So we're funding a lot more companies over time. So a lot of the same, but expanded and 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 and. Um, and an ex and a more expansive view as to how we can help startups in their um in their in their journey from the the very from the idea stage until hopefully they they um they have a more uh, more expansive impact on on the world potentially by going public or or the like so just uh, let me uh, steer the conversation in a in the direction that would be the most helpful for our community of people who might be interested in applying to Y Combinator. Sure. And um, there's a there's some amount of confusion around what is ideal for Y Combinator, as you saw very recently in our exchange with Bruno. Um, there is, you know, when you think of an accelerator, the word accelerator or the word incubator, people tend to think that it's very, very early stage. And um, I, we've done quite a few Y Combinator case studies that came in with, um, you know, that applied to Y Combinator after doing a significant amount of bootstrapping and then going into Y Combinator. So clearly you are accepting people who are further along. So, so dispel these uh, confusions a little bit and, and, and help us understand what is uh, acceptable. Um, yeah, I, I know a, a lot of venture capitalists sort of talk about their the stage of investment that they work with. And we, we're not really a, a typical venture capitalist. We don't really see the world that way. Um, and the question is somewhat meaningless uh, for our batch program. We think of ourselves as a school for startups. So when a startup can derive value from being part of our network, from the advice we give, from um, being associated with Y Combinator, then that startup is a good candidate for the program. Now, this is usually a pre-Series A company. Once you've raised 10 or $20 million and have a board and have a, um, a, a set of investors in that Complex context. Complex cap table. 
a complex cap. You well, uh, we see a lot of companies with complex cap tables. I don't know if that's the <laughs> that's the dividing line, but it is true that 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 it's infrequent. Although it has happened, but it's infrequent that post Series A companies will do our our core batch program. So that's maybe the dividing line that will help people. But it is true that we have funded companies where there there are just two or three founders and just an idea, all the way to companies with um, even uh, eight figures of revenue. But again, the, we do trend earlier than, rather than later, and it's a little more unusual that a company like that will seek to derive value from YC. But sometimes in particular cases, it will make sense for them. Hope that helps. You have said a bunch of things that let me try to unpack here. Okay. International. So um, you still, of course, COVID has been a, a game changer on the virtual side. And this, until before COVID, you wanted people to come and be in Silicon Valley for the three-month program. Um, what is your current perspective on geography? Do people do a virtual program and then can be anywhere, be doing their company from anywhere? Um, well, it, it is certainly true that the pandemic left all of us with a few choices in that matter. Yeah. So the, um, the end of the winter 2020 batch was entirely virtual and our, our demo day, the, the time when all of the companies describe what they're doing to venture capitalists from around the world had to be entirely virtual. It was obviously impossible in 2020 to bring a whole bunch of folks together, not just in one country, but from around the world into a single room that was going to be impossible. So our summer 2020 batch was entirely virtual. Our summer 2020 demo day, we completely rethought and rebuilt as an entirely virtual program. And that is, of course, true, for, was across also true for the winter 21 batch and the summer 21 batch, which is going on right now, is entirely virtual. The, our perspective on the future is changeable. We're not sure. We're, we're trying to figure out what 2022 will look like, um, whether there'll be an in-person component as well as a virtual component. Certainly, we've learned a lot about how effective we can be uh, as a virtual accelerator, but I, 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 will, I, will, I won't commit to anything in particular for 2022 because I just don't know what that year is going to look like. As things settle down in the post-pandemic world, will will evolve YC once again to being somewhat different. I don't expect it'll be exactly like it was during the pandemic. I expect there will be some in-person component, but I just don't know how much yet. And in the meantime, while you're operating as a virtual company, the investors are also investing in companies all over the world, right? Right. One so, of the most um, surprising things about the pandemic was investors' willingness to invest over yeah. Zoom. I apologize to WebEx, but mostly <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> but it turns out, it you know, we, it, uh, you know, I, I remember this like it was yesterday when we, we got together in a room and said, we have to stop. We cannot have, we, you know, our batch can no longer meet together. It's not, it's not safe. It's not ethical for us to do it. And we are not going to be able to have a demo day um, like we yeah. normally do, which is this incredible, you know, it, it's, it, it became the venture capital event of the year, twice a year, 
in Silicon Valley with thousands of investors coming together. And it was, it was really cool, but um, impossible to do. And so we really wondered, will investors just completely stop investing? What approach will they take? Is the world just completely shutting down? And in fact, what happened was investors recognized this as a, an extraordinary opportunity for the acceleration of the digital world and the digital trends that were happening anyway. And so what investors did was they opened up their wallets and said, we will meet with people virtually and we yeah. will invest in them. And I don't know that that's ever gonna change. Yeah, no, I don't think that's going to change. The other wonderful thing that has happened is people are much more willing to do deals. You know, and the customers are much willing to buy, much more willing to buy just over a Zoom call or uh, you know some sort of a digital conversation. And There's, that's been phenomenal for international startups to totally. be able to sell. For startups everywhere, international, local, it's you know the there are enormous efficiencies to be gained in that community. You know, exactly. you have cats going back and forth. I get that. <laughs> so you have some downsides. But the reality is I can do this meeting with you and then immediately go to another meeting. And that other meeting could be virtually. I could be in India or I could be in France or I could be on the East Coast of the United States and I can do it instantly. Um, there's a loss. And we shouldn't, all of us who are being virtual here should not forget that. And if you're starting your virtual startup and deciding not to be in a room together, there's loss there. Frankly, I will tell, I will be honest, if I were starting a startup tomorrow, I would have everyone in a room together. Uh, that's, that's just me and maybe I'm old fashioned. And there are some amazing YC startups that have never been in person. A startup like Zapier or GitLab who have never been in person and are, have built incredible companies that way. Still, you know, yep. it, it, there is something to being in, in, in contact with a real human being <laughs> across the table or um, having a cup of coffee together. And I think having finding the right happy medium between those, uh, being yeah. in person sometimes and yet being virtual and getting all the efficiencies of virtual will be the essence of really effective. This is a good segue into my next question, which um, I, I'm, I'm going to preamble that question by uh, giving you our experience. You know, we built one million by one million as a virtual company, as a virtual accelerator and a virtual company. We have people who have been working with us for a decade, and we've never met in the Philippines, in India, etc. We have never met these people, but you know, it's been a phenomenal experience, and we're very close. It's a small team; continues to be a very small team. We're very close. Um, but but the, the phenomenon that I, we see, we have been seeing this actually, this trend uh, for a while, and in COVID it has accelerated tremendously, bootstrapping with a paycheck. In fact, we see bootstrapping entrepreneurs getting quite far, you know, customers, revenues, even break even without quitting their job. So at 1 million by 1 million, we have no problems. We are like you, we are in the, you know, pre-series A zone, right? So we don't care if it's napkin stage or, you know, whatever. We work with that entire spectrum of seed, pre-seed, friend, family, and tools, napkin, whatever, you know, post-seed, that whole spectrum. But um, typically, you know, investors have not liked to invest in companies that are in operating in this mode. And this, this category, by the way, uses virtual company architecture extensively. So what, uh, what are you seeing? What is your perspective on this category? It's a force right now. Uh, so uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure how you're defining the category, but let me talk a little bit about, uh, about bootstrapping. 
Um, so we What's usually divide. Sorry. Specifically, bootstrapping with a paycheck. If they're keeping their jobs and they're starting a company on the side, they're starting to validate, and you know, getting quite a bit further before quitting their jobs. They want a validated business before quitting. That's um, the specific category I'm talking about. I remember when um, in in nineteen. 93 this is maybe before some of your listeners were born i um i was working at hewlett packard and a friend called me up and and said have you have you seen mosaic and i said what are you talking about and <laughs> i had exactly was that I might be in my office, my office might say, Truman, have you seen Mosaic yet? I'm like, what are you talking about? So just was, our conversation. For those of you who don't know, Mosaic was the um, first web browser. It was invented by Mark Andreessen and his colleagues at the NCSA, the National Center for Supercomputing at Urbana-Champaign, um, um, Urbana Illinois, at the University of Illinois. And it was the first web browser that integrated graphics and text, which might seem stupid to all of you now, but it was cool back then. Uh, anyway, my friend called me. I saw that and I quit my job three weeks later because I knew that was the future. And my, my boss at the time, he looked at me and said, don't quit before you know what you're doing. Stay, like get a paycheck, boot, go, do, don't do it. For me, I couldn't do that. I had to jump. I had to take the leap. And my message to people who are bootstrapping by taking a paycheck, there is a long, long, long history of successful entrepreneurs who waited until they were really ready and saved money or did whatever they did by taking a paycheck and then jumped. But that being said, you got to take the leap at some point. By the way, that's why YC gives you $125,000. It's not really meant to be like your first real venture round. It's enough money so you can survive we used to give you $20,000 so you could eat ramen <laughs> during the summer <laughs> while you were trying to do your startup. Um, it, it is a um, harsh truth that doing a startup is about the hardest thing you can do professionally. And if you're not in 120%, it's hard to really build a successful startup. But that doesn't mean you can't choose the right time to make the leap for yourself. But eventually, if you're not all in, I do not know of a massively successful company that was built um, with part-timers. It just doesn't well, tend no, to I, work. I think nobody wants to start a company to remain a part-timer forever. But I think, you know, see the world that I look at, the lens with which I look at is still in terms of the numbers of entrepreneurs getting to some degree of success. You're looking up at the universe from you know, how many of these companies are going to be billion dollar, $10 billion, $100 billion companies. I'm looking at the universe of how many, you know, how can we get more of them to a million dollar company and to sustainability and so forth. So, you know, you have a 97% rejection rate, I have a 0% rejection rate. So I have to think of ways that these people can survive, right? So most of them don't qualify for any seed yeah. capital. So they have to somehow survive. And paycheck is one of the techniques we have identified as as a viable survival strategy until you get to the point where you can quit and go full time. Well, we're actually more aligned than you might think, Shramana. Um, I'll say two things. 
or a few things. First of all, it's 98% rejection rate. So we only take about 2% for our <laughs> best you. That being said, that being said, um, there's more startup content on YC, uh, on, on our on our website, um, than anywhere else on the web, or at least more valuable in my opinion. Startup School is entirely free and gives you um, a, a lot of the benefit of the knowledge that we have as to how to start a company that, that is relevant across different types of companies. And I think lifestyle companies, as we call them, which are not really venture-backable, because those companies that you're talking about, they're fantastic. They're just not going to get venture financing because for a simple reason, venture capitalists can't get their money out of those companies. There's no way, there's not a public market for those companies. You can't get a return on your investment. And you have to understand venture math, right? Venture capitalists have limited partners who invest the money that they then invest and they demand a return. So venture capitalists just can't invest in those companies. That doesn't mean that's not a perfectly valid way to build a company and have a really successful outcome. In fact, what I like to tell um, founders is that lots of times you can become very wealthy doing that without venture capitalists. It's just a different path that you take. And we really fully support that. But it is true that for our batch program, we're assuming that your startups in the sense that you're gonna grow fast, you're gonna need venture financing to finance that growth, and that therefore you're not looking to create a lifestyle company. Right, exactly. So I mean, for us, our, our spectrum is broader than yours. Yours is you know, specifically the ones who will get funding. Uh, we forgive, have me I, forgive me and if I disagree. You're broader than the batch. You're broader than the batch, but YC is broader than that. <laughs> if I can, if I can be disagreeable there, Shramana. We agree. Yeah, you can be disagreeable. We, we I, can, I can be disagreeable too. I think my content is the best in the content but that's okay. It's debatable and it doesn't well, matter. We can argue about that all day. As long as the content's out there and free. Look, when I was trying, first wanted to start a company in the 80s, none of this content was available. Nobody knew. And now there's exactly. so much great, exactly. free, freely exactly. available content. So many great okay. programs to help you get that take that first step and become That's successful. the most important thing. That's the most important Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So uh, I have another couple of nuances that we are seeing, just like this bootstrapping with a paycheck is a nuance. There are, there's bootstrapping with services, and very good companies are coming out of this mode of entrepreneurship. And of course, you know, Oracle was founded in this mode. Alteryx is one of my favorite case studies. <laughs> you know, the guy, uh, first I met him in 2013, uh, Dean Stoker. And he told me this incredible bootstrapping with services story. They've gone public since, et cetera, et cetera. They have raised money. They've, I mean, all of the many of these companies eventually raise money, but they bootstrapping with services for enterprise software is a very, very effective way of getting close to customers, identifying problems, really deeply understanding the problems before turning a product, turning a services project into a product. This we are seeing in droves, and we support this. We've supported this all along. Um, very effective. Do you do you like this genre? Uh, do you have a pushback against it? Um, it, it? It's it's not a main line of growth for an enterprise product because um, what you end up doing is building a very specific product for a very specific company and. Um, and they tend to be very demanding, and it's different from creating a general product that you can that you can sell everywhere. Uh, I, I will say this: Look, there's an enormous amount now more than ever of venture money available 
for B2B enterprise businesses. However, every entrepreneur has to find their path, has to go after their dream. And if the right way to do that is to get consulting fees and service fees from a company that is willing to pay you to build software, that can be a fantastic path if you have no other path. I think you should exhaust your possibilities first and then take that possibility if there's, if there's nothing else available. And it is absolutely true that Sramana and I can, can, can point to cases where service uh, companies bootstrap the services have turned into independent successful companies. It's a little unusual for that to be the case, but it's not impossible. It's certainly a viable path. And the customer intimacy aspect is something that I like a lot because these, you know, customers are giving lots of input and that input is valuable to, to figure out how to scope the product, especially enterprise software and enterprise software is complex. Totally. I mean, you, you probably know that our motto is make something people want, but we actually say, have go a, a little deeper when we talk to our bashes and say, look, there's pretty much two things you should be doing right now. And, and the way we put it, which you have to think is meant to be somewhat symbolic is we say you should write code and you should talk to customers. And what that really means is you should build things, whatever you Absolutely. believe in, and then you should talk to your customers and know them as deeply as possible and understand whether the, what you're building is delivering value, is adding value, is creating, you know, product market fit. <laughs> and you do that on yeah. an iterative basis pretty much throughout the lifetime of the company. So the last um, of these creative bootstrapping techniques I want to uh, dialogue on is bootstrapping by piggybacking which is there are a bunch of past platforms out there. Salesforce, of course, was the pioneer in this field. Now there are more of those. And great companies like Viva, Velocity, all of these are, you know, Viva is a stupendous company. Velocity was acquired by Salesforce eventually for over a billion dollars. Aptus, Map Anything, uh, Map Anything was also acquired by Salesforce. These were all built on the Force.com, original Force.com platform. Um, a lot of, you know, not having to build the whole stack saves you a lot of money. So this is something that people like Peter Gassner understood very early, and, and um, Rene Bonvani was running Salesforce Incubator. I remember Rene invited me to come in and gave me a whole tour, and I did a whole story on that way back when. Um, so this is something we're seeing more. Atlassian is doing a path strategy that, and they have a lot of developers and a lot of startups. Snowflake is trying to do one. So this is becoming more and more um, of a phenomenon. So how do you view this trend that is coming along now? Um, well, I think it's terrific. And I, I will say, I, I, I don't think there's anything new here except for the availability of platforms at perhaps different levels. Think about it. Every entrepreneur builds their company on the infrastructure that's available. And those, those infrastructures might be platform. In the beginning, it was the web. That was the platform that people built on. And then maybe it was Google and using the, the ability to use AdWords to get traffic to your site. And maybe it was Facebook later, or maybe it was Zynga if you're building a game platform. There was lots and lots of platforms that, that, that became available. AWS. Apple, Apple this... iOS. Apple SDK was one of the most successful of the developer Apple, platforms. AWS. This expansion of platforms on which you can 
begin your company. Um, we have a company called Shogun that, that built their business originally on Shopify and is then expanded from yeah. there as they, as they helped companies build websites on Shopify. There's, the, there's enormous availability and possibility by these platforms that get to scale. Uh, one, one other um, aspect of this that I'll point out that I'm super excited about, as some of you might know, I started an, uh, a sister accelerator of Y Combinators called Imagine K-12 focused on educational yep. technology. And what's really cool about ed educational technology is that companies in that space have created platforms on which other ed tech companies can build. Companies like Clever that built a platform with distributed mm -hmm. software into schools. Companies like Class Dojo who created a platform that's available in essentially every elementary and middle school in the United States. The possibility that those platforms represent is are enormous and I think, I think a boon to entrepreneurs everywhere. And by the way, of course, to the customers who are who are served by those platforms. The big, uh, I would say, the big differentiator now in that trend is the level of abstraction. There's so much more abstraction. You can do this thing so much more easily and effectively just because there's so much work that has gone into that's making right. it easier for developers. I so, think that's right. Um, the structure, the infrastructure that we used to build on were pipes and then higher and higher, higher levels of abstraction all along. I think that's, I think that's right. That's also true, by the way, like another, another piece of infrastructure that entrepreneurs can build on now is open source, right? Open source has provided this enormous amount of capability freely available to use with your, with your product. And I think that, that as well as those other platforms are, are making, um, you know, is one of the forces driving entrepreneurship, which is why we get an increasing number of applications, batch on batch on batch. We get over 15,000 applications for the, each batch now. And I think a lot of that is because entrepreneurs see the possibilities in all these platforms. Yeah. Um, solo entrepreneurship is a subject that's coming up a lot in our universe. Um, Paul Graham never liked solo entrepreneurs. So what is your perspective now, uh, you know, 16 years down the line? Uh, I actually think that's a mistake, a misstatement of what PG would say. Um, I, I, we have funded, we have always funded solo entrepreneurs. We have funded some amazing solo entrepreneurs with, you know, incredible success track records. Um, that's, that's not our opinion about solo entrepreneurs. Our, our opinion about solo entrepreneurs is... <laughs> Our opinion on solo entrepreneurs is simple, which is that your probability of success as a solo entrepreneur is lower. Why is that? Because entrepreneurship is so hard. It's just so hard. It's psychologically hard. The vast, I, I, by the way, I have, I have personal experience with this. I tried to be a solo entrepreneur and I am not that person. It's too hard. I couldn't do it. I needed a team. I needed partners in that. Most people do. And, and it's not just because there's so much to do. <laughs> like There's an infinite amount to do. So if you can divide that as a startup founder, so if you can divide that in two or three, that's good. But um, there's another aspect, which is that because of the inevitable ups and downs of a startup, you need, you need like when you're down, you need your partner to say, you can do this, we can do this, we're good. And it's super hard. So it takes a very special kind of entrepreneur to be able to do it as a solo founder. And when we, so we just have a higher bar, I would say. And when we find someone who's like, okay, I don't care. This person's awesome. They're going to do it fine. But for most of us, most of us, normal human beings, it's, it's just, you know, it's a step too far.
It is an emotionally difficult journey. Entrepreneurship is an emotionally very, very challenging journey, psychologically very, very challenging journey, no question. Right. You know, my favorite solo entrepreneur case study is service now. Fred Ladi started as a solo entrepreneur, and I met him in 1999 or somewhere around there. So, you know, and he, he told me this amazing story of just kind of doing it very, very organically and selling to customers. And then, you know, yeah. the rest it's, of it. It's hard is, and it's lonely and it's, you know, it's really difficult. So, um, Entrepreneurship in general is very, very, uh, very hard. It's a very, very difficult path. Yeah. Last week we had uh, Ben Narison here, and and he made a statement that, uh, you know, don't come to me if you're looking for work-life balance. And I push back on that because you know if you don't, if you can't maintain good mental health, it is very difficult to run the marathon. You know, you burn out. You you, you know, know you're gonna you're gonna flame out. I talked a little bit about our sort of the, our, our our mantra inside YC, write code and talk to users. Um, but we actually, we've expanded that a little bit. We say what you should do is at least during YC, but then beyond is you should write code, talk to users and get exercise and eat and, and you know, and, and like stay sane because uh, over time we've realized that we really need to, 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 to sort of beat people over the head with the fact that if they burn out <laughs> and they have no life and they're miserable, they're, that actually reduces their probability of success as opposed to the opposite. So it actually is super important that you stay sane and find some balance in your life. Life is too short otherwise. That doesn't mean you have to work your butt off, but you better you know find a way to balance that with, with something else that keeps you sane. Jeff, I'll take a question from the audience. Actually, Bruno Boschokow is asking you, I'm starting to raise a free feed round at a given valuation. Well, valuation is TBD. If I get accepted to the winter batch, how do I explain the YC deal that is lowering the valuation of the company to existing investors? Um, so Paul Graham wrote an essay called The Equity Equation a long time ago. And basically, the simple idea is that whatever equity that, that you should take the deal YC gives for whatever equity it is, as long as you believe that we increase the value of the company more than a little bit more than the equity that we get. You know, so if we take 7%, we have to increase the value of the company by 7.3%. If you don't believe that about YC and your investors don't believe it, you shouldn't do YC. Now we will make the case that we transform trajectories of companies and increase the value by way, way, way more than that. And most investors around the world nowadays understand that. Our track record, I think, speaks for itself and the set of companies that we've worked with and um, companies' ability to raise funds once they're part of the YC program and, and, and hopefully achieve success after that. So, what you can tell your investors is this is going to help us all be successful. So I should take it. And again, sometimes that's a conversation with investors, but it's really infrequently a problem in today's world. I will uh, take one last question from the audience. Uh, Monica Chan is asking you what's different from what you learned from being part of the YC program and the startup school. Is it primarily mentorship and access to a fantastic network of investors slash founders? Um, 
well, it's different. You know, um, it, it, it's um, you're you're taking a correspondence course versus being involved in an intense um, uh, boot camp focused on your startup and um, the level of personal attention that you get, the label that you get as a YC company, the connection to the network that you get to your batchmates, to the entire broader community of YC is way different by being part of the batch. Very good. I think 8.40 was your cutoff. We have managed Q&A and everything and got you out of here by 8.40. Thank you, Jeff, for coming. It's great to see you. Great to catch up. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Sramana. Good luck to everybody with your startups or whatever your path is in life. I hope everything goes well and everyone stay safe.